A healthy body needs a healthy mind to function properly. Mental Health Parity is the law requiring that your insurance coverage for mental health or substance use disorders be no more restrictive than coverage for your physical health. Health coverage is health coverage, whether it's for your physical or mental health. Whether you need surgery or treatment for depression, you're covered. Know your rights. Learn more about mental health parity laws at getcoveredillinois.gov. You're listening to The Big Picture with Edwin Eisentrath on WCPT 820. Okay, we are back. And it is my great pleasure to be joined by Ken Martin. He chairs the Minnesota Democratic Farmer Labor Party. Um, he's the president of the Association of State Democratic Committees, vice chair of the DNC. He is a superb organizer, a very smart campaign strategist, and he's done amazing things in Minnesota. Ken, welcome. Hey, thank you so much, Edwin. That's a very kind introduction, and uh, thanks for having me on your show. Well, you, you've you earned it. Look, we, we spend a lot of time on the show talking about state legislatures, state um, Democratic Party efforts to rebuild. David Pepper comes here a lot. So have your colleagues, Lavora Barnes and Ben Wickler. But I, I think, mm-hmm. um, you know, you're doing you're, the amazing things you're doing in Minnesota. You're a bit ahead of all of them. And it's just stunning what you've accomplished. And I wonder if you'll tell everybody here about, you know, the, the journey and, and this unbelievable year that you've had. Well, thank you. And, you know, look, I, I've had the great fortune of serving as the chair of the DFL for the last 13 years, uh, which makes me one of the longest serving uh, Democratic state party chairs in the nation. I am not sure if that's a sign of my mental health or not, but uh, I'm, I'm grateful to do this work, of course, uh, coming on the heels of many years uh, running campaigns up and down the ballot. Uh, I started, I got my start some 33 uh, years ago with uh, a bushy haired college professor from Northfield, Minnesota named Paul Wellstone and and spent years mm-hmm. doing exactly what Paul Paul told many of us to do, which is to use uh, politics to improve people's lives. And and I don't think there's a better example of, of, of using that power to make a difference than what happened in Minnesota this past legislative session. You know, as we, we look at states like Florida and Texas and other Republican-held states around uh, the nation that are doing everything they can to pass laws to make it harder for people to live their lives. Uh, here in Minnesota, we actually, uh, with very slim majorities this last legislative session, probably passed arguably one of the most progressive uh, legislative agendas uh, in the history of this country to, to again, uh, improve people's lives and strengthen communities, uh, and, and most importantly, to make people's lives a little easier to live. And so, you know, things like uh, we passed the, the largest paid family and medical leave act, uh, 20 weeks of uh, paid leave for people who uh, have to take time off of work to, to care for a, a sick loved one. Um, you know, we passed the nation's uh, largest child tax credit, will, which will uh, cut childhood poverty in this state by uh, over a third. We passed a bill to, you know, uh, allow for free college for low-income families, uh, free school meals for all Minnesota children, uh, $3 billion of tax cuts for working families and low-wealth communities, the largest investment ever in our schools, with, which is about $4 billion over the next four years years and and significant gun violence prevention measures amongst a a, a ton a litany of other things that i'm i'm sure we can get into in a second but you know there's what was remarkable about this as i mentioned edwin is we did that all with uh, 
one seat majority in our our, our Senate and just uh, you know a, a six seat majority in our House. And um, you know what I I think is really important. The lesson uh, here is that when you have power, you have to use it to make a difference. Uh, you can't sit on it. What good is getting elected to office if you don't use that power that you have to actually try to to do something? And and that's what was remarkable to me is that we actually got something done for Minnesotans. And I think it's really a model for how to govern across the country. Yeah, the list of things you accomplished is incredible. Um, uh, And we can go back into some of them and even the ones you didn't mention more in a minute. But I want to say that the GOP said these policies would drive away investors and destroy the state. Um, No, that's not what you've experienced, is it? No, and, and in fact, Minnesota's economy is is uh, one of the strongest in the nation. I think it's the third strongest economy in the nation. We have we have uh, record low unemployment uh, under two percent. Uh, we have the lowest inflation rate in the country. Uh, we have record high business filings. Um, uh, and you know, as you know, uh, we're we're home to more Fortune 500 companies per capita than any other state in the nation. And so, this idea that taxes drive businesses out of state it's just not born here uh, in Minnesota. We, we, it's, it's exactly the opposite. As you know, Ed, when Oliver Wendell Holmes said this um, uh, over 100 years ago, he said, taxes are the price we pay for a civilized society. And Minnesota uh, has invested not only in the brick and mortar sort of infrastructure, roads and bridges and, and other sort of hard infrastructure that you need to, to help um, communities and help businesses thrive, but we've also invested in our people. Um, you know, we have some of the highest education attainment, high high school graduation rates, ACT, SAT scores, some of the highest uh, uh, number of college graduates in our workforce. And it's all a result of, um, you know, not only this legislative session, but I would argue, you know, investments over the years by Democrats, again, in people and in the type of infrastructure that keeps, uh, you know, the economy uh, humming along like we see here in this state. Yeah. So you made these changes, these investments, and private sector loves them. They are following with investments of their own. So, you know, that the, the myth that Democrats are bad for business is more nonsense. But you, you also passed laws that are not, strictly speaking, you know, sort of investments, but rather guarantees of, of, of freedom. You, you, you preserve oh, access right. to reproductive choice. Yeah. I mean, as you know, and you're in Illinois, Edwin, I mean, uh, you know, uh, right after uh, the Dobbs decision last June, uh, there were re- there were only two states in the Midwest at that point that uh, still uh, allowed uh, access to abortion care. It was Illinois and Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things we did, the uh, first uh, bill to pass out of the legislative session, was to actually codify abortion rights um, uh, into law. We uh, already had a constitutional provision that guaranteed that right, but we codified it into the law as well. We also, you know, uh, one of the other things I'm really proud of is that we uh, we pass laws to allow for gender affirming care, and we we uh, as a result have become the fifth uh, uh, state in the country that's uh, sort of known as a trans refuge state. Uh, 
you know, um, we uh, restored the vote to thousands of uh, uh, felons. Uh, you know, we passed a bill uh, <laughs> uh, to make sure that, um, you know, uh, we banned conversion therapy, for instance. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so there are things that we did, you know, on a policy perspective that, uh, again, uh, showed who we are as Minnesotans, uh, that we uh, value inclusion. We value um, all the communities, uh, you know, that represent our great state and we want people to feel welcome and at home in Minnesota and and there's a number of other things we did that I'm really proud of of course but um, including uh, we passed a bill to uh, provide driver's license for all people including undocumented uh, immigrants and um, you know again I I just think you know the the breadth and scope of what we did in in a five month period uh, it it not only helped improve people's lives and strengthen communities in Minnesota but generations of Minnesotans are going to feel the positive impact of these policies well after I'm gone. And, and, and frankly, you know, um, we're, we're referring to this as Minnesota Miracle 2.0 because 50 years ago, uh, a similar slate of um, progressive policies passed in the Minnesota legislature that were really the model for the nation at the time. And, and we're still feeling those impacts. And so I, I guess what I'm saying is I hope your listeners and folks around the country realize that, um, you know, when we see all the bad news about what's happening in states like Florida and Texas, when they're banning books and they're passing abortion bans and they're, they're, they're banning the teaching of history, right? Uh, African-American history, as an example, in Florida just recently, you know, um, and they're going after uh, um, uh, the LGBTQ community. They're going after women's rights. There are states around there that are the antidote to that. There are states that are actually saying, you know, that that's not who we are as Americans, and we're going to pass laws that are actually going to make it easier for people to live their lives and to tell people that we recognize and value the dignity of every person uh, in our state and every person in our country. And, and that's not only uh, the Minnesota way, uh, it's not only the Wellstone way, but I think it's the Democratic Party way. This is who we are as Democrats, and this is our moment to stand up and show who we are. And I think not only President Biden and Kamala Harris have done that, but certainly here in Minnesota, our elected officials have. Yeah, um, there's longevity in these values that we Democrats have. And I am standing in, in having this radio show talking to you in, uh, after a long career in government and politics and elsewhere, in part because as a very, very uh, youngster, I think I was seven years old, uh, or, or I uh, spent some time with Hubert Humphrey, and it was enormously uh, meaningful to me. And, um, you know, he was willing to talk to some little kids about why we do the things we do in this country. And it was very powerful. Another Minnesota, a long, yeah. long, proud history. Yeah. Well, and I'm glad you raised Humphrey because people don't realize, you know, the role that he had on so many uh, important sort of seminal pieces of legislation from the Voting Rights Act to the Civil Rights Act to fair housing to um, uh, Medicare and Medicaid, a lot of the, uh, you know, great society programs of LBJ. Humphrey helped usher through, uh, of course, uh, both as vice president, but before that in the Senate. And so when you think about that, I, I, I do appreciate your raising. Humphrey, a, a great Minnesotan, of course. Um, I, and I'm, I was just thinking about this, uh, remarking uh, about Humphrey, because just last week we celebrated on uh, the 75th anniversary of 
of Humphrey's speech to the convention in 1948 mm. in Philadelphia, where he ushered in uh, a, a plank into the party platform uh, for the party to embrace civil rights. Now, many people don't know the history of that, but the party at the time was really controlled by Southern Dixiecrats, and they did not vote that plank out of the platform committee. And so Humphrey had to take a minority report onto the floor of the convention. He built support around it. And he got up and, and it eventually passed. And in his speech, he said, of course, as you know, it's time for the Democratic Party to um, come out of the shadows of states' rights and enter forthrightly into the bright sunshine of human rights and civil rights. And, and of course, that party plank uh, changed our party for, for the better. And, and, you know, it not only allowed us to, you know, champion civil rights, but, you know, from that point forward, it really changed the course of American history. And so, you know, I'm always struck by the Margaret Mead's quote where she said, you should never underestimate the power of one individual to uh, change yep. the world. In fact, it's the only thing that has. And I, I, I really believe that because I've seen that in my own life. And I hope that your listeners and people around the country realize that where where things may seem bleak and and uh, in some of these red states where really bad things are happening, there's still hope. And it starts with each of us uh, rising up and getting out there and organizing like Humphrey and Wellstone and so many people that uh, I have had the great fortune of knowing. Yeah, um, really remarkable. I mean, you know, it's not that big a state, Minnesota, in terms of population, but punching above its weight for sure. <laughs> Um, (laughs) now um uh, let's just talk about the um uh into the weeds about politics a little bit more right now across the country democrats are reinventing state parties i mean in many states and for too long really we relied on big city mayors and large unions and i know minnesota was a little different you can talk about that but i've I, I, you know, I, I see state parties like in Wisconsin that your neighbor and, and Michigan and uh, North Carolina and other places sort of reinventing how we uh, attract people, how we create sort of on ramps for people to get involved in campaigns in new ways to talk about the ways that, that t- today Democrats are building back their party and their infrastructure in ways that are, um, you know, so that other states can do what you've done. Yeah, you know, look, I, I think this is a really important um, conversation because the the reality is is that um, uh, state parties um, really have uh, do not have the luxury just to focus on federal races, uh, presidential races, Senate races, congressional races. You know, we are tasked with actually building the long-term infrastructure. Um, and my motto here in Minnesota is build to win, build to last. It's a, it's an acknowledgement that we have to win this upcoming election, but our job is to build permanency, to build the type of infrastructure that exists uh, beyond just this election cycle. And as a result, we also have to be planning uh, to the next election cycle. And as state parties, I always say, uh, you know, and as a Minnesotan, I have to use a hockey analogy here that we, we, Wayne Gretzky once said, you have to skate to where the puck uh, will be and not where the puck is. And I think that's that's really the role of state parties, because most of our national party committees are really just focused myopically on the upcoming election, and they're not building anything uh, sort of long term. And so for us, 
we're already looking at the 26 and 28 cycles, and we're not just looking at the top of the ticket. We have to build um, a deep down ballot, and we have to contest every race, city councils, school boards, county commissions, uh, mayorships, you name it. And not just in the big cities, as you mentioned. We cannot, as a Democratic Party, um, just become the party of density and, and the highly educated. We have to be competing in rural parts of our state, in the suburbs, uh, in the urban core. We have to be everywhere and contest every race. Uh, there is both a selfish reason for that. One is that we um, obviously want to groom the next generation of leaders in our party through those local government positions. But more importantly than that self-interest is the fact that the conservative movement in this country has very successfully over the last 40 to 50 years run people, groomed people for those offices so that people, these these conservative candidates uh, now elected to many of these positions could push a very far-right and conservative dogmatic agenda. And we're losing some of these public policy battles uh, in, in school boards across the nation, right, as they're banning books uh, and changing curriculum. We're losing these public policy battles in city councils and county boards. And so we have to compete there uh, because, you know, technically they're nonpartisan, but they've been politicized so much by the conservative movement in this country that we, we have a responsibility to make sure that our party and our values are also represented in those spaces. So, you know, state parties really play that critical role. Um, secondly, and I think this is really important, you know, uh, I, I loved President Obama. I thought he was a wonderful president. But one of the things that I thought was a real critical mistake that uh, that Obama and the DNC under his time did is they, they created uh, Organizing for America, and it stripped a lot of resources away from uh, both the national party and also state parties. And as a result, uh, during that eight-year period, we saw some of the most devastating uh, election losses, electoral losses, uh, up and down the ballot for the Democratic party in, 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 in our party history. And so, you know, we have to actually recognize that if we want to win long term, we have to do exactly what I just said. We have to build long term infrastructure and state parties are really the backbone of that. They're the ones on the ground recruiting volunteers, recruiting candidates out there on the doors, on the phones, mobilizing and turning out voters day in, day out. And as a result, when you have the type of disinvestment that you did under uh, President Obama, um, it, 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 it really set us back uh, quite a ways. And so we are now rebounding, I think, and what you're seeing in state parties around the uh, country right now um, is a, a, a lot more energy, a lot more investment, and people are starting to realize, again, that uh, we made a big mistake, you know, over a decade ago by, by disinvesting. The, the the last the last piece I would say on this um, is there's there's um, you know obviously state parties are part of the ecosystem uh, for sure but there's a real um, value of making sure that every state party around the country is strong and this is something that Howard Dean understood when he was national chair the 50 state strategy of, of um, you know investing in the states that are red now with the idea that the only way you're going to turn a red state to a purple state to a blue state is through some 
attention of time, money, and energy. And, and, um, uh, and I, I think, you know, we're starting to get back to that now under Chairman Harrison and, and certainly President Biden, who believes uh, very strongly in the work that state parties and county parties are doing. Lastly, what I would say, and I, I know this is a long answer, but the Supreme Court has really shown that, um, you know, these battles right now over personal freedoms, um, uh, you know, the attacks on uh, women's rights, uh, as an example, the attack on the LGBT TQ community, the attack on affirmative action and 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 um, you know sort of racial and economic justice that the court and uh, and 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 you know other Republicans are engaged in these battles are not going to be won in Washington, D.C., won or lost. They're going to be won at the local level in, in the states. And that's why it's so important for us to win these state legislatures back. It's so important for us to win these other offices back. There was so much good stuff in, in that answer. And I, I, I want to trying to decide where to start. You know, I mean, the, the, the enormous losses that we bore um, that you talked about, uh, in particularly those midterm losses when um, Barack was president, um, uh, they happened at a time just at the beginning of the time that there was the technology to do map making in such a precise way. So the gerrymandering that happened when the Republicans were in control at that moment um, has really hurt us in, in profound ways, in, in ways that have made the democracy sort of thrown it out of out of kilter. Now you have states that really aren't democracies in some ways. So this effort that, you know, to claw back now is extra hard. And I mean, you've seen that in Minnesota and your neighbors in Wisconsin have been struggling with it for more than a decade. Um, Really hard to do. Um, The other thing that is you talked about was competing everywhere. And you gave really good reasons for doing it. I I wonder if there isn't one other. And that's just that there are good people living in every part of this country, even in the reddest counties. And they deserve better than they're getting. That's right. And I think, you know, as simple as this might sound as a solution, people ask me all the time, well, why are we losing rural parts of this country? Uh, we've seen uh, some of these bright blue areas turn red over the last 20 to 30 years. And there's a lot of reasons for that. But one of the things that I think that de- the Democratic Party should learn is that when we give up on certain areas, right, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because these people um, by and large, uh, a lot of their values are still aligned with the Democratic Party, right? And they're looking mm-hmm. for a champion. And, and um, you know, the the short of it is, is that, you know, when I worked for Paul Wellstone, you know, Paul could organize the corn farmers in southern Minnesota. He could go up to the Iron Range and organize uh, the, the miners up there and, and, and organize the uh, immigrants in the inner city. He understood that uh, all three of these disparate groups had um, something in common, which is they were trying to build a better life for their families, right? And and uh, he had a, a fierce focus on uh, sort of an economic populist agenda because he recognized that they all wanted to uh, make sure their kids had a good education. They all wanted to make sure that they could find a job that paid them a, a decent wage. They all wanted to make sure they could retire with dignity, right? And they would have access to health care, et cetera. 
Paul understood that, um, you know, everyone, to your point, regardless of where they lived, deserved a champion that was going to stand up for them and give them some hope uh, that their future could be brighter. And and I think that in so many ways, we've given up on, on those conversations. We're not present in some of these communities the way we need to. And we're not there. They don't hear us talking about their community. They don't hear us talking about small towns or, uh, you know, uh, farmers or, or rural America. And, and as a result, uh, they don't feel like we care. It's a great book by um, Catherine Kramer, who's a professor at the University of Wisconsin. Uh, it's called The Politics of Resentment, and it's, it's the rise of uh, mm-hmm. Scott Walker and Donald Trump. It's a fantastic read. Mm-hmm. I'd encourage everyone to read because it really it really is, is true, not just in Wisconsin and Minnesota or the Midwest, it's true everywhere, which is we have to fight for everyone's vote and we have to be everyone's champion. And I would argue that the Democratic Party's values are America's values. Most people agree with where we're at on the positions, right? And we need to fight for those folks regardless of where they live, to your point. Uh, and so, um, yes, I, I, I agree wholeheartedly with you. It's not just for public policy reasons, but, you know, we have to acknowledge that there are people in every one of these counties and every cities uh, who are desperate for uh, folks to stand up and get give a voice to what uh, is afflicting their lives and their concerns that they have and their hopes and dreams. Yeah. And, and I think when the Democratic Party starts to do that better, we'll start winning some of those uh, uh, red spots back again. Yeah, I mean, Ken, I'm guessing, I don't know this, but I'm guessing you had the same reaction I did years ago when a book came out that said, what's the matter with Kansas? And I yes. thought to myself, <laughs> what's the matter with Democrats that we would write a book like this? <laughs> you know, I mean, seriously, we, you know, you can't blame people for turning their backs on a party that's turned their backs on them. But you're not doing that in Minnesota. Ben's not doing that in Wisconsin. Lavore's not doing it in Michigan. The, the Democrats that are putting things together and moving forward understand that every vote is worth fighting for, that every person that's is right. worth standing up for. That's right. But I think, you know, and you highlighted this earlier about gerrymandering. I mean, in a state like Wisconsin, right, um, you know, that election in 2010 when Scott Walker was elected really dramatically changed things because then he had uh, appointments to the Supreme Court uh, where they were able to gerrymander that state to a point where, you know, they're winning statewide races, but they can't win the legislature despite the fact that they're getting on on whole uh, more votes for Democratic members of the legislature than Republicans in that state. And it's just so uh, skewed towards the Republicans because of how they've drawn the lines. And so these are ways, and I know you mentioned you had David Pepper on, um, and, you know, he talks a lot about this, which is, you know, oftentimes when we talk about how democracy is being destroyed, we, we you know, we, we look to Washington and, you know, you look at uh, these federal offices and, and the presidency and all this election denying and, and all of it, it, it impacts it. Don't get me wrong, but you know, there are very insidious ways uh, at the local level how democracy is, is actually being uh, destroyed. And David talks a lot about that in his book, uh, Laboratories of Autocracy, as as you know. And I, I, I am a big fan of his work, and more people should listen to what he's saying, because uh, we we are we have to be bright, not bright-eyed, uh, open-eyed about how uh, the, the, the conservative movement in this country is dismantling uh, democratic institutions right at the local level. Yeah, and and I would say at the national level, what they've done by capturing the Supreme Court is protect those efforts at the local level. So the local level yes. is the sword, and the Supreme Court is their shield. 
Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So Jamie Harrison was my first guest when I started to do this show. He's a a good friend in a nearly impossible job. You've worked closely with him, and I think you're right that this DNC is more like, um, uh, you know, a few years ago when they really did try to run everywhere. But uh, you talk a little bit about the DNC and the job they have. Yeah, look, I mean, I, uh, you know, I, I started in uh, 2010. Jamie came in as his as a chair in South Carolina a couple of years after that. And so we, yep. we are very close friends and allies. We served on the uh, executive committee together for years before we were national party officers together under Chairman Perez. And I was uh, really grateful to see President Biden select uh, uh, Jamie to be our chair. He's doing a fantastic job, and I think it's not just him. It's a combination of him uh, with President Biden and Vice President Harris, two people who came up through the party, who understand the value of the party, who um, have done everything they can, you know, outside of the great, fantastic policy work they've done to lead this country. Uh, they have done a lot of work to help build the party around the country. And um, I, I, I think, you know, Jamie, Jamie deserves so much credit because, um, you know, look, as we were heading into the 2022 midterms, of course, um, there was a, a lot of uh, hand-wringing, of course, amongst Democrats, as there often is, and everyone was buying into the, the pundits and media folks and everyone red else wave. saying we were... Yeah, we were headed to the red wave, and it was it was going to be a massacre. It was going to be the biggest slaughter uh, the party's ever faced. You know who didn't believe that? Jamie Harrison didn't believe that, and he he went everywhere, and he and I traveled uh, quite extensively together throughout the nation last year, um, campaigning for Democrats up and down the ticket, but also uh, meeting with Democratic Party leaders and and others uh, uh, to give them a sense that you know all was not lost, uh, to keep their heads up, to keep fighting, and you know his his resolve to make sure that people knew that you know <laughs> um, uh, you know not to believe all the the hype here. Really, really kept people energized and fired up, and you know, particularly in those final months. Uh, uh, you know, I give Jamie so much credit. Um, you know, of course, um, you know, it, it took a lot of Democrats on the ground, um, you know, working so hard last year. But Jamie, really, as our party chair, did did what he needed to to make sure that people were out there uh, doing everything they could to get out the vote. And I, I'm just really proud of his leadership. He's done a fantastic yeah. job. I think so too, and I and I think that um, you know I'm a I'm a Chicagoan, and it hasn't in my life always been easy to be proud of what uh, certainly in my state and sometimes in my city Democrats have done, um, uh, <laughs> right? You know it is what it is, right? But I think the, the where the party has come out and 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 across the country how it has raised its standards. Um, and change some of its habits to be more, um, um, you know, open and con- and connecting with people, not just, uh, you know, the smoky back room stuff. And that, that, that's just not where we are anymore. And and yet still, there are a lot of people who are uncomfortable with the idea of political parties, young people in particular. And I think we've been yeah. fortunate si- since 2018 to have all kinds of I don't know what to call them, party-adjacent groups, swing left, indivisible, yep. groups like that, that that aren't the party, but they work closely, right? They, they're they not in your way, right? They're all no around doubt. the country. I mean, 
That's right. You need all. It, it, look, we went through addition, not through subtraction. Meaning that, uh, you know, when I came in as chair or as uh, vice chair in 2017 under Chairman uh, Perez, I remember uh, one of the other party officers, and I'm not going to say who, saying that we shouldn't work with some of those groups because many of them aren't card carrying members of the Democratic Party. And I just really uh, bristled at that and rejected that notion because, you know, uh, first off, we are a very big tent, and we're also a coalition party, uh, particularly here in Minnesota, we're the Democratic Farmer Labor Party, but nationally, um, you know, there's all types of Democrats within our party, right, um, and all stripes, but there's also all of these groups who share our values that are adjacent to the Democratic Party that are working hard to organize people around issues and uh, around certain communities that we need to be working with, right, and so, um, you know, and, and I would say over the last six, seven years, we've we've certainly strengthened those relationships with allied groups and certain constituency yep. groups uh, and, and others. Um, I, I, I would say you hit the nail on the head, right, about young people in particular. I, I think the Gen Zers, you know, um, they are going to be the ones that change the world. I have so much hope for that generation. And what what is certainly true is what you said is there's if you try to appeal to young voters on party or candidate there it, it's going to fail miserably because that's not what motivates them they're not motivated uh, by joining the democratic party or you know supporting a certain candidate and i use bernie sanders as an example of this in the 2016 election here's this you know 70 some odd year old you know uh grumpy guy who's not the greatest uh, speaker in the world frankly all right but he had this huge uh, uh, following of young people. And I ask people all the time, why do you think that is, right? Uh, uh, it doesn't seem like the type of candidate that young people would support. But the reality is, is because he was bold and he was standing up uh, and talking about the issues that, um, you know, of course, uh, young people and others cared about. Now, uh, you know, I was a big Hillary Clinton supporter. I wasn't a, uh, you know, a supporter of Senator Sanders, but I admired uh, what he did on that campaign trail in terms of being able to attract and uh, appeal to young people. But it, it wasn't because of him, it was the issues. And so when we think about, you know, moving into 24, we have to lead, particularly with young people, we have to lead with the issues. And, you know, uh, frankly, the issues are on our side, you know, from President Biden and Vice President Harris, what they were able to do over the last two and a half years. Uh, we've never seen a, a more remarkable record of success uh, in the first uh, couple years of a presidency than what we saw over the over these last two and a half years uh, that really have made a difference for young people and people throughout this country right so I think you're right um, I think you know this is this work um, we can't do alone we need as many partners as possible in all those groups I'm indivisible swing left labor unions uh, you know folks in uh, uh, women's rights mm -hmm. groups and and uh, you know the folks that have been standing up like moms demand action in every town uh, fighting against uh, all the gun violence around the country, all these groups of people who came together to fight for um, certain issues they care about, they all matter because they're part of our coalition and we can't win without them. Yeah. And, you know, people, young people in particular, they get mad at us because we haven't done more. And I, here I remind them of, um, we had a football player in Chicago named Walter Payton, you know, and in his yeah. career, he gained 10 miles. He ran you know, 10 miles in the NFL with whole 11 people on the defense trying to stop him the whole way. 
And you might get mad right. at him that he didn't run 20 miles, but to see it, it was a pretty remarkable thing. And, and, you know, we have been up against just the most bitter opposition that is mindless. It has no policy focus. It's just, if they're for it, we're going to stop them. And, and, um, you know, I'm, I, before you came on, I was talking a little bit about the news of the week. And I just don't think, I, I look at what the Republicans are doing and they do, there's nothing that moves anything forward. It takes all this attention. Yeah. It takes all this energy. It's like, it's just noise. And I think people, it makes everybody cynical. And they have to understand that that's not what both parties are doing. You know, one side is actually, as you, as where we started, this miracle of actual accomplishment in your state. And that fights the cynicism better than anything. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, we're at a, a, a point where we see, um, you know, unfortunately, the, the the trust in democratic institutions and in politicians uh, in government is at an all-time low. The cynicism is at an all-time high, right? And what can break through cynicism, of course, is action and and things that actually make a difference, right? And so, you yeah. know, I believe in some ways, Republican uh, this Republican strategy of just being um, uh, sort of intransigent and and standing in the way of progress is is by design. Because they know what happens when people become cynical is they they disconnect right and they don't vote they don't participate and so you know um, and 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 I would argue that look um, you know the the reality is that for us we cannot you know just rely on um, our good deeds uh, we have to get out there and talk about them for sure and and that's not always our strength right because we right. believe we should just do good work and 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 people will recognize that well you know we have such an amazing story to tell i've been saying this everywhere i go we need to stop agonizing as democrats because we do just tend to do that very well we are we wring our hands and we're sort of like the eeyore party right the woe is me the <laughs> half half uh, glass uh, you know full um you know sort of uh yeah go ahead we're ashamed ken to pre- to, to brag about the good work we've done when we've left people still behind and I think that doesn't yeah. do a service to the ones that are still behind, because if we're going to keep making progress, we have to be able to brag about the progress we've made, knowing full well there's a lot more to do. That's exactly right. I mean, there's always going to be work to be done, right? And, you know, yeah. even after yeah. this legislative session in Minnesota where we accomplished so much, I remember someone saying to me, well, well, what's next? Uh, you basically checked off everything you guys have had on your list over the last 25 years. And while that's true, I, I reminded them, as long as there's injustice, right, uh, that old saying, uh, you know, uh, 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 um, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice uh, everywhere, right? Yeah, really. uh, meaning yeah, that yeah. as long as as long as there's injustice, economic injustice, racial injustice, uh, um, you know, as long as uh, someone is falling through the crack, there is still work to be done. And you know, despite all of the success we've had in Minnesota, we still have some of the largest racial disparities in the nation, and we have a great deal of work to do in this state to address that. Uh, and so, yeah. I, my point my point is is there's always work to be done. However, we don't do a good job of getting out and talking about what we're doing, and we need to do a much better job of that. And 
And I, what I say is, you know, we need to stop agonizing and start evangelizing because we've got yep. an amazing story to tell. It's not, it's not just here in Minnesota. It's in, in other states around the country who, uh, who are really doing good work to make a difference, again, in people's lives. So I think, you know, for me, um, you know, we got to start evangelizing. we got to start telling that story. Uh, and then we also need to contrast it with what the Republicans are doing, right? Because the Republicans are, you know, doing everything they can actually. To, like I said, to make it harder for people to live their lives. And let me give you an example on why I think, you know, um, we're in a better position than people might imagine. Um, Every single Republican running for president, from Donald Trump to Ron DeSantis to Nikki Haley to Tim Scott, it doesn't matter which one, they're all doubling down on uh, the issues that uh, these extreme positions on abortion, as an example. They all support abortion bans. They all um, support uh, the big lie and deny the uh, uh, the election from 2020. Um, they're all um, you know, doubling down on the issues that, frankly— swung a huge majority of independent voters and even some moderate Republicans towards Democrats in the last midterm election. And so I think, that, you know, what we have to do is not only tell people what we're going to do for them, but we also got to call out the fact that all of these candidates are extreme, not just Donald Trump, but every single one of them supports these extreme positions that Americans have already rejected at the ballot box. That's where their whole party is right now. Yeah, that's exactly right. So, I mean, whether it's candidates for president or folks in the state legislatures, I mean, I'm 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 hopeful we will expand, we we will uh, erode their majorities and expand ours in state legislatures around the country for the same reason. Well, we have you know we you know yeah you talked before you went back and talked about Paul Wellstone and brought me back to Hubert Humphrey. I mean, there's a consistency in the in over time in, in amongst Democrats. And there's values that we stand for. But like Donald Trump looks nothing like George Bush, who looked very little like Ronald Reagan, who looked nothing like Richard Nixon. That party keeps, you know, reinventing itself all the time. And it reinvents itself in ways that that do not reflect American values, that reflect instead this um, radicalized core that they brought into the party Right after Humphrey said, you know what, Democrats should stand for everybody. And they thought, oh, well, that's a good opportunity for us to uh, bring well, everybody no in the country into the Republican Party. Yeah, and I think you can look at how when the Republican Party really started to change, of course, uh, you know, the Southern strategy with with Nixon and the Republicans, mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, the real, you know, the reality is that we saw that in Virginia, right, with uh, you know yep. those, those folks in Charlottesville, with the, the the torches, right, you know, the yep. idea that racism is is it, it, you know it's gone in this country because we elected the first black president, you know, it, the reality is is they're appealing to, um, you know, this nasty underbelly of this country that still exists. And we have to call it out for what it is. And, you know, we've seen a rise of anti-Semitism, a rise of Islamophobia. We've seen a rise of hate crimes in this nation. Um, and, um, you know, it, 
some of that, I'm not putting it all on the Republican Party, but some of that is because of their standard bearers who really do everything they can to not only appeal to those voters, but to um, to, to incite and, and fuel some of this. And so we have to call that out. And I, I was really proud of the vice president for going down to Florida the other day um, to, to call out what they were doing, because it, it's yep. really racist. It's it's um, it's dangerous. And it's not who we are as Americans. Ken, we have um, eaten up our time. I can't believe it. I, I actually wanted to talk to you about your your successful effort, you know, a dozen years ago to change the state constitution because the environmental issues are so important. Yeah. And you did remarkable work earlier in your career. Um, but uh, if you don't mind, I hope we can you can come back and we can talk further about that and other things. I'm, I'm always happy to come back. And Edwin, I just wanted to thank you. Thank you for having this show and, and, and having these conversations. It's so important for not just our party, but for democracy. And I look forward to joining you again. And, and thanks for having this Minnesotan on your show. You bet. Take care. All right, everybody. Uh, uh, it's a remarkable Ken Martin, who chairs the uh, Minnesota Democratic Farm Labor Party, we are going to turn to uh, a state that has a much uh, different kind of struggle, Ohio, when we come back. Stay tuned. You can't fake caring for people. You know, people read through it. They care about that child. At Ann and Robert H. Lurie Children's Hospital of Chicago, we know that caring for your child takes more than medicine. You feel so comfortable. Like they make you feel special. And you are. I love them. With cutting-edge treatments and kid-friendly care, there's a reason Lurie Children's is ranked the number one children's hospital in Illinois. My child is well taken care of. It's like family. Lurie Children's, all for your one.